What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to check out the podcast. Just a heads up, I am not breaking down Game 4 of the NBA Western Conference Finals. If you want to hear that, head on over to YouTube. Check out the Shooting the Schmidt YouTube channel. You can hear it over there. Today we're breaking down the Boston Celtics' future, breaking down the Lakers' future, and we're going to break down the Miami Heat's improbable run. Cannot wait to get into it. It's an absolutely loaded podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. So the Boston Celtics are set to take on the Miami Heat tonight. Game four, Miami's probably going to probably going to complete the sweep tonight. Boston's definitely not coming back down 3-0. So we're just going to go ahead and act like the series is over. Because as everybody knows, this series is over. And we're going to talk about the Celtics' future. Look, as I said, Celtics haven't been swept yet. Probably going to happen tonight. They quit in game three in, in the second quarter. It, it was so bad. The game was so terrible that I've been doing these reaction videos on YouTube. I didn't even do one. I was like, I'm not staying up late to watch them get beat by 30. I mean, it was an absolute blowout. And if I had done a reaction video, I would have turned on the camera and said, like, seven words. I'd have said, Jimmy Butler broke the Boston Celtics' will. And I would have turned off the camera, and that would have been it. Because that's exactly what he did. And now this Boston team that people were so excited about, this Boston team that posted the second-best record in the NBA, is about to get swept by the eight-seed Miami Heat. And blame is just flying all over the place. People are blaming Joe Mazzula. People are blaming Jalen Brown. I got Zach Gray coming on next week to rip Jason Tatum. There's people who are mad at Grant Williams. There's people who are mad at Marcus Smart. Everybody's catching all sorts of blame. So what do they do? What do they do? They have two options. Option number one, they bring everybody back and they fire Joe Mazzulla. That's what I think they're going to do. I don't think that they need to have a knee-jerk reaction. Because if you watch the series, if you've watched the Celtics at all, this entire playoff run, Joe Mazzulla just isn't ready yet. Second-row Joe, just not quite ready yet. Why do you call him second-row Joe? Because he sat on the second row of the bench last year because he was the fourth assistant. Okay, he got thrown into an impossible situation that he just wasn't quite ready for yet. Okay, and if there weren't good coaches available, I think that there's a chance that they might let him stick it out for one more year. But here's the thing. If they fire Joe Mazzula, they have the best job available. They have the best roster available of all the teams that have an opening. Okay, and there are experienced coaches that they can go out and hire. They can hire Nick Nurse. They can hire Monty Williams. They can hire Mike Budenholzer. They can hire Frank Vogel. Like, there are options. Okay, three out of the four of those coaches have won a title. And the one who hasn't, Monty Williams, has coached in the NBA Finals before. Okay, if they hire any of these coaches, it's an immediate upgrade over Missoula. And you sit there and you hope that coaching was the only issue. That's kind of what it seems like right now. I mean, you know, they had Ime Udoka last year, a really, really good head coach. I think he's going to do wonders in Houston. And they remove him, and it just kind of slowly unwinds. You know, because people, they were really high on this team. People were high on Joe Mazzula. That's just kind of how it goes, though. When you're winning games, people love you. When you're getting swept in the Eastern Conference Finals by an eight seed, people tend to not love you as much. Option number two. 
they make some trades. And I think that the only logical trade would be for them to move Jalen Brown because they're not going to move Tatum. And if they bring Brown and Tatum back between the both of them, their payroll alone will be over $100 million a year between those two guys. That just doesn't leave you a lot of wiggle room to pay anybody else. And so if they move anybody, it'll be one of those two guys. They're going to keep Tatum. He's the better player. I think that we've really kind of seen that here in this Eastern Conference Finals. And so where do they move him? Where do they send him? I think Portland is really the only obvious option. They could send him to the Lakers, but Boston's not going to trade with the Lakers. So Portland, the only obvious option. And look, they could totally go for it. Okay, There are multiple trade scenarios here. They could totally go for it. They could send Jalen Brown and Robert Williams to Portland for Damian Lillard. Before I get into all this, um, I spent like four hours on the ESPN trade machine yesterday working on salaries and stuff. So if you have a question of like, why is Robert Williams involved in all these? It's for salaries to work. Anyway, so they could send Jalen Brown or Robert Williams to Portland for Damian Lillard and Skylar Mays, the 23rd pick in this year's draft and the 43rd pick in this year's draft. Okay, and you get a legit point guard, a guy who knows how to facilitate because I still think that they're missing a playmaker. I know Malcolm Brogdon was supposed to be that guy this year, but he's not a playmaker. He's a scorer. Okay, he's coming off the bench looking to score. He's not looking to set other guys up. Tatum, looking to score, not really a playmaker. Marcus Smart, looking to score, not really a playmaker. Al Horford, looking to score, not really a playmaker. Jalen Brown, looking to score, not really a playmaker. They need somebody who is willing to sacrifice shots for himself to get them for other people. Damian Lillard is a guy who can do that. Add Skylar Mays in there as well. Young guard who can come off the bench and give you some good minutes. And then you take the 23rd pick in the draft, and you take Derek Lively from Derek Lively from Duke. If he's available, he'll probably end up, you know, in the low 20s on my big board whenever it's all said and done. Um, so if he's available, you take him at 23. Or if not, Noah Clowney from Alabama should be should be available. Both big, both big athletic guys who can probably help fill the gap of Robert Williams being traded away. And then you know they can add wing depth or something with that 43rd pick. So that's option number one. They go all in. And they trade for Damian Lillard. Or they could take their time. Jason Tatum's 25. People forget this. Okay, there's this huge rush, right, for Jason Tatum and for these young guys to go win championships. And I understand it for Tatum, right? This is his fourth time in the Eastern Conference Finals. He's going to be one in three. So I understand why people are waiting for him to take the next step. Doesn't help that he's also in Boston. I think if he was somewhere else, we'd be a little bit more forgiving, but. Comes with the territory. You go play for the Boston Celtics, or you go play for the Los Angeles Lakers, there are going to be expectations on you sooner simply because of who you're playing for. But once again, he's 25, not 35. There is time for them to rebuild this. Okay, like Nikola Jokic, he's 28. He's just now going to his first finals. That's normal. Okay, that's normal. This Boston Celtics team, if they want to build around Tatum, there is still time and... So if they want to do that, they can send Jalen Brown and Robert Williams to Portland for Anthony Simons, Skylar Mays, and a lot of draft picks. I think those are the two options. You can maybe you know, take the third pick in this year's draft, go get Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, whoever you want, and then you take the Blazer, uh, uh, probably a couple, maybe one more first-round pick, maybe two more. We'll see because that third pick... It's worth a lot, right? And so they then have the tools they need to rebuild for the future. 
and the Trailblazers have what they need to compete immediately. They got a rim protector and Robert Williams. They have a second star, a wing, and Jalen Brown to play alongside Damian Lillard. I think it works out pretty well for both teams. Final trade option. They could send Jalen Brown and Robert Williams to the Hawks for John Collins, Sadiq Bey, and Bogdanovich, and, and a lot of picks. Okay, this is the long-term option. Long-term op- Nearly as much, but when it comes to teams that you're expecting to make some moves in the offseason, Atlanta's been trying to get rid of John Collins for a long time. And, you know, if the Celtics are willing to bring him on, bring him on. Okay, they had some shooting and some defense. Um, I think in a lot of ways, moving Jalen Brown is going to help Tatum, especially with this trade, because the ball's going to be in Tatum's hands a lot more. He's going to be able to develop as a playmaker, which is important just for the long-term offense for the Celtics and for his development like he needs to learn how to do that at some point and when you're having to give the ball to Jalen Brown or in theory Damian Lillard or somebody on half of the possessions it makes it a lot tougher to kind of learn those skills and get those skills to stick so I think my my favorite of the three options or four options would be just to fire Missoula and bring everybody back because this is still a really good roster and ultimately you know this is going to come down to how the Celtics feel about Brown and Tatum. Okay, between the both of them, as I said earlier, they're going to make over $100 million annually. And the issue with Brown, because he's the guy who's going to get moved. They're not going to move Tatum. The issue with Brown is he's a two-dribble guy who thinks he's a four-dribble guy. Um, But, but, this is the good thing about him. He understands that he is not the number one option. Okay, they've also reached the finals with these guys. Like, that's a hard thing to do. And it is really hard to move on from guys that you have made the finals with. It's really hard to do that. So if I think they're going to bring him back. That's what I would do. Bring him back. Fire Missoula. Go get Nick Nurse or whoever you want. I'm a big Nick Nurse guy, as you all know. That's who I'd go hire. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's the answer. But, you know, if they move Jalen Brown, I wouldn't be overly surprised either. Moving on to the Lakers. Lakers future. They got swept last night. As I said earlier, if you want to hear... The game for reaction, go to YouTube, Shooting the Schmidt. Feel free to check that out. So, so the Lakers' future. I'm just going to tell you right now. I would move Anthony Davis. I would send Anthony Davis to Portland for Damian Lillard. Because let's be honest here. LeBron James is not going to retire. He's not. Okay, The whole I'm going to retire thing is just a threat for the Lakers to go all in. Okay, and I think that when people hear that, they think, oh, they need to go sign Kyrie Irving. They don't need to go sign Kyrie Irving. We're going to get to that here a little bit later. Um, Damian Lillard's the much better option. He is. Because long-term, you don't want to deal with Kyrie after LeBron leaves if you're the Lakers. Okay, I'd much rather deal with Damian Lillard than Kyrie Irving long-term. And so that's what I would do. Because, look, let's just be honest here about LeBron. Okay, this is going to be their last year to legitimately make a run at it because LeBron's going to leave to go play with Bronny. Okay, and there was some hope that Anthony Davis would be able to be the guy after LeBron left and that Anthony Davis would be able to be the guy, you know, this year and next year. And it just doesn't look like that. Okay, we've been calling Anthony Davis first team all yo-yo because he's been so up and down. And you can't rely on a guy like that night in and night out. Okay, either way, after next year, you're going to tear it down and you're going to rebuild. 
So I would send Anthony Davis to Portland for Damian Lillard and Skylar Mays straight up. Okay, Anthony Davis, he can disappear in Portland and make his money. Lillard is then able to come into L.A., take the ball out of LeBron's hands. Because that's really what needs to happen. Okay, if you want LeBron to last, if you want him to be great in the playoffs and not run out of gas, he has to have the ball out of his hands. He's going to be 39 next year. He needs to play 28 to 32 minutes a night and play 60 games max. That's what needs to happen. And he needs to play off the ball. Okay, look, he's great on the ball and running the offense, but he's also great as a screener in the short roll. We saw him work it fantastically out of the block. He passes the ball well as well as anybody in the league. So when he does run the short roll and when they do throw the ball to him on the block, he's able to distribute. That is what needs to happen. And that can happen if they bring in Damian Lillard. Okay? And the other thing, too, is when LeBron's off the ball and he's able to cut, he's able to get shots in and around the rim. Because let's be honest, three-point shot hasn't been great this year. Okay, you let him play off the ball, you let him post up, you let him run the screen and roll, he's going to get more layups and he's going to get to do what he does well, and that's finish around the rim. Okay, like that's what you want LeBron doing at this point in his career. You want him finishing around the rim and you want him pushing the ball and scoring in transition. Those are the two things that you want from him. Those are the two things that he did great through the entire playoffs. And when you watch that Denver series, when the Lakers were at their best, it was when LeBron pushed the ball in transition and when they threw him the ball on the low block or they ran the screen and roll with Austin Reeves as the main ball handler. The question is, is LeBron going to be willing to do that? Okay, look, if the Lakers want to win one more championship in the LeBron area, era, they aren't going to do, do it with Anthony Davis. They're going to do it with Damian Lillard and LeBron James running screen and roll saying, good luck. Good luck. And the other thing is, if you do that, you can bring back Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura. Um, I might bring back Schroeder as well, but outside of that, I don't think I'd bring anybody else back. I wouldn't touch D'Lo with a 10-foot pole. Um, Wouldn't bring back Malik Beasley. Probably wouldn't bring back Lonnie Walker. Just me. Wouldn't touch those last three guys. Uh, But Reeves and Rui are a must. Um, I like Schroeder and the defense and shooting that he brings, so I would try to bring him back as well. And then if the cap space allows, I would go out and try and bring in Jeremy Grants, just a versatile wing defender who could knock down open shots and also get a shot. And then I would try to bring in, you know, a JaVale McGee, probably a, a cheaper big. And then Draymond Green, if he opts out, is also an option. I think Brooke Lopez might be an option for them as well. Those are the guys in free agency that I would look at, depending on their Caps situation and who all they decide to bring back. And then the question then becomes, well, Jonathan, what if Portland doesn't want Anthony Davis? What if they don't want to make that trade? Right? Oh, and I forgot to mention this. Anthony Davis for Damian Lillard and Skylar Mays probably isn't enough. The Lakers would have to send some picks their way as well, probably like their first-round picks from 2026 to 2028, somewhere in there, you know, they're because you know, those are the next three first-round picks that they have available. The Lakers don't need picks. They're in L.A. They can go get just about any free agent that they want. Now, moving on. What if Portland doesn't want to do that? What if Portland doesn't want Anthony Davis? What if the Lakers want to keep Anthony Davis? Then the answer is Kyrie, right? Like, yeah, like go get Kyrie. We've seen LeBron handle Kyrie and all that. And this is where there's disconnect between players and and franchises, because the players are thinking next year, especially when you're LeBron and you know you, you know you only have one year left. Next year, what are we doing next year? This is my last year. 
Gotta gotta win a title this next year. Whereas the Lakers don't look at it like that. Well, okay, yes. Do we want to win next year? We do, but we also want to win, you know, in twenty twenty four, and twenty twenty five, and twenty twenty six. And when we look at Kyrie and just he's just he's a walking issue, okay? Sometimes he wants to play, sometimes he doesn't want to play. Sometimes he says things that he shouldn't sh- shouldn't say. And when you give a guy guaranteed money, especially a guy like Kyrie, then the willingness to say things and not play goes up. And they're going to have to pay Kyrie. Whereas if you don't pay Kyrie, right? Like when we saw him when he ended up in Dallas and he's working for the next contract, he talked less, he played more. The things he said were good. And so you want to pay this guy and then just give him all the freedom to say and do whatever he wants again. That's not a good idea for the Lakers in the long run. But who is a good bet? Who isn't as good as Kyrie? I know. But a guy who could potentially opt out of his first deal. Or a guy who could potentially opt out of his player option is Fred Van Fleet. And that is who I would go get. Okay, a guy who can knock down open jumpers, a guy who can finish around the rim, a guy who knows how to get his teammates involved. He's much more consistent. Like, you know what you're getting with Fred Van Fleet. You're going to get a good, solid basketball player night in and night out. Okay, between him and Austin Reeves running the one, the Lakers should be fine at point guard. Okay, you know, Fred, Fred Van Fleet's a guy who's won a, who's won a title as well. I think that that would be the much better option for the Miami Heat going for excuse me that would be the much better option for the Los Angeles Lakers going forward rather than signing Kyrie make the trade for Damian Lillard or side sign Fred Fred VanVleet those are the two best options don't touch Kyrie he's poison he's going to mess up your franchise we're going to take a short break when we come back we're going to break down the Miami Heat's improbable run and just how incredible it's been i finally found a comp I'm excited to break it down. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. The Miami Heat have had one of the most improbable runs in NBA history, arguably the most improbable run in NBA history. And whenever things like this happen, really just in sports media in general, people are always constantly looking for comps. This player reminds me of this player. This moment reminds me of this moment. This team reminds me of this team. And with this Miami Heat team, it's been really hard to do that. But I think I've figured it out. I think I've cracked it. I think I've figured out who it is. And it is the 2011 Dallas Mavericks. That's who it is. I, I don't really know who else you go with. Um, Yeah, because when we look at this Miami Heat team, Jimmy Butler is pulling in all the headlines as he should because he's been awesome. He's been the second best player in these playoffs behind Jokic. But he's been the best player in the Eastern Conference uh, playoffs, but it I, it goes beyond him. It goes beyond him, and I think when we look at Dallas, we see a very similar roster building and improvement in the playoffs. Both teams have one star: Jimmy Butler, Dirk Nowitzki. Both players have been one of the two best players in the playoffs. Dirk Nowitzki was the best player in those 2011 playoffs. Jimmy Butler's been you know the second best player. In this year's playoffs, both teams have increased production on one side of the ball. We'll get into that here in a minute. Both teams lose an impactful player during the playoffs. Tyler Hero, right, breaks his hand 
in game one, second quarter against Milwaukee. Karan Butler gets hurt, doesn't play in the playoffs. Karan Butler becomes available. During the finals, Mavericks opt to not play him. Tyler Hero, I know he's going to be available, but maybe they don't play him. That is an option. Both teams have great head coaches. Eric Spolstra, Rick Carlisle. Both teams were doubted. Obviously, Miami doubted so much more than Dallas. But Dallas had the sixth best odds that year going into the playoffs. Miami was 13th. Now let's go back to the top. Both teams have one star who elevate their play across the board in important areas during the playoffs. When we look at Dirk, he went up in points per game by five. He went from averaging 23 points per game to 28 on only two more shots a game. The efficiency went up. His rebounds per game went from 7 to 8. The three-point percentage went from 39% to 46%. And the free-throw percentage went from 89% to 94%. He was just locked in when it came to shooting the basketball. We've seen something pretty similar here with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler goes up in points per game from 23 to 30 on seven more shots a game. He's just being more aggressive in general. The rebounding has gone up a little bit as well. Everything else, though, for Jimmy... Stayed the same, but he's been so much more aggressive on offense, and it's really kind of popped, and that's why people are really looking at him. So both teams get increased production from their stars. Now let's look at the overall increases in production. When we look at the heat, the offense has just really exploded. Okay, They went from averaging 110 points per game in the regular season to 115 points per game in the postseason. Okay, The heat's three-point percentage has gone up from 34% as a team in the regular season to 39%. That is incredible. Okay, And then when we look at the Mavs, their offensive numbers are pretty identical uh, in that 2011 run from the regular season to the postseason. But the defense got better. And when we look at Miami, their defensive numbers from the regular season to the postseason are nearly identical. So let's, let's look at that 2011 Mavs defense. They improved in terms of how many points per game they allowed. Teams went from scoring 96 during the regular season against the Mavs to 92 points per game in the postseason. They limited teams from three, holding them to 29% from three in the playoffs. That's impressive compared to 35% during the regular season. So both teams see an increase on one side of the ball. The Mavs improved defensively, whereas the Heat improve offensively. Right, And as I said earlier, both teams lose an important offensive contribution. Okay, As I said, Tyler Hero gets hurt against the Bucks. That's a 20-point score. That's a guy who's averaging 20 points per game. And then when we look at Karan Butler, you know, he, you know, he was a 15-point-per-game scorer, which, you know, 15 points, whatever, that's easy to find. Remember, it's 2011 where teams, if they broke 100, that's a really good night. Okay, So losing that was really, really big. At the time. So both teams lose these important, influential offensive players. And then we look at the coaches. I mean, I don't have to say anything about Coach Spo. We know how great he is. Shouldn't have to say anything about Rick Carlisle either. He is and was back then a great coach. And then when we look at the fact that both teams have been doubted, and this is the thing that I feel like when people hear, I'm like, Jonathan, Mavs weren't doubted. They were a three seed. Right? But that just doesn't match the narrative going into those 2011 playoffs. There were questions around Dirk and his ability to get it done. He lost in the 2006 finals, four games in a row. They went up 2-0, lost the next four. He lost in the first round se- he lost in the first round as a one seed in 2007. 
He lost in the first round as a two seed the year before in 2010 to the Spurs. There were serious questions around Dirk and the Mavs heading into the 2011 playoffs. Can Dirk be the best guy on an NBA title team? Like, can he be that guy? Has 2006 permanently scarred him? And then when we look at Miami, they're an eight seed. I don't, I don't really have to explain that. They were a bad. They were a bad eight seed during the regular season. All of a sudden, you know, the offense is, has come to life, and both teams have a chance to run through the playoffs. Okay, like that Mavericks team dominated the playoffs. They went sixteen and five, and they swept the defending champion L.A. Lakers in the second round before going on to beat Oklahoma City in the Western Conference Finals. The Heat are doing the exact same thing. They're going to sweep the the defending Eastern Conference uh, champions in the Boston Celtics. They beat the Bucs, you know, 4-1. They walked through the Knicks. I know that the Knicks won two games, but let's be honest here. If Jimmy Butler plays game two, Miami probably wins that one. So there's a decent chance that the Heat could also finish with a 16-5 record in the playoffs. If they win tonight and they beat the Nuggets in six, they would also finish at 16-5. and five. So that is really the only thing that I think is comparable to what Miami has done. They've been incredible. No one saw this coming. Um, I definitely didn't. I had the Bucks winning the whole thing, so tells you where, where my mind was. It was with a lot of other people's minds. So what a run by Miami. I just There's really nothing else to say. They should finish off the Celtics tonight, and then we will be set for a Miami Heat-Denver Nuggets NBA Finals. That It's going to be so unique. I'm going to preview the whole thing with Zach Gray next week. Um, it's it's going to be so good. It's, it's going to be weird because most of the time, you know, teams only have, you know, two or three days between, you know, the last game of their, of their conference final series and game one of the NBA Finals. Coach Spo is going to have eight days potentially to prep for the Nuggets. Mike Malone is going to have nine days to prep for the Heat. I mean, it's just, that's just weird. It's going to throw in a whole different dynamic to game one. So I can't wait for it. It's going to be really good. So I am getting ready to head out of town. There will be a podcast on Thursday. I'm recording it right after this. Giving you the 25 best players in the NBA. I feel like after these playoffs, we got to update it. So Thursday, that will be out Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to hear more from me, head over to the YouTube channel, Shooting the Schmidt, spelled just how you spell the podcast, and check out everything we got going on over there. Thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you all again on Thursday.